0: Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and teammate, Christian Ubius. Christian, it is our third movie of our basketball blend of the month, here celebrating March Madness, of course. Have you been following along any of the action in the men's or women's tournaments, or maybe you're an absolute fiend, you've been watching the NIT and CBI as well. Where are you at with college basketball, Christian?
1: So, I know a lot of UCLA people, and when Northwestern lost to UCLA, I lost all interest in basketball. And right now, I'm going. I'm checking who is still in it. Who is still in it?
0: We've got who UConn. Sti- We've got Miami. Not the one that I went to, but the one in Florida that everybody else knows we've got florida how many teams how many teams are left it's the final four christian next week is the championship
1: wait who did ucla lose to
0: i honestly can't remember (laughs) i have not been following the tournament that closely this year you married a bruin i did but she cares i care about ucla sports more than she does so (laughs) that's that's not really enforced around this house no, wait, but she cares about the Steelers, right? She does. She she uh, put it in her wedding vows that she would care about the Pittsburgh Steelers, and she's done a very good job of that. So, I picked a good one. What can I say?
1: Sure. But Believe Christian, uh...
0: we're here to talk about a combination of real and fictional sports, because of course we are talking about Coach Carter today, the Samuel L. Jackson 2005 biographical drama about Coach Kenton Carter. <laughs> Of course you've been the one who have been guiding us through this basketball movie blend of the month here so what led you to coach carter because of course real life stories are often made into sports movies and this is not the only real life basketball movie not even the only real life basketball movie focused on a particularly charismatic coach so i am curious christian what led you to coach carter
1: It was you turning down every single one of the other things that I wanted to talk about.
0: Well, Christian, I did not know how serious you were about any of those movies except for Teen Wolf.
1: I wanted to do Teen Wolf or Blue Chips or Celtic Pride or Like Mike, and you said no to all four of those. And you countered with Coach Carter. Do you sincerely
0: believe we could have gotten... Twenty-five minutes or more out of Like Mike. <laughs> Answer that question honestly.
1: Absolutely, we got so much time out of Space Jam, and uh, Space
0: Jam is is a substantive American film, Christian. <laughs> I mean, it's a pop culture cornerstone for a generation.
1: We spoke forty minutes on The Last Airbender.
0: That's fair. That's fair, you know. Well, maybe I shouldn't talk so big a game about Like Mike. But look, you know, we could have covered a basketball comedy. Basketball is a sport that has had a lot of comedic movies made. Not just the ones that you mentioned. That's why I suggested Celtic Pride. Yeah. Uncle Drew, more recently, a basketball comedy. And I'm saying, like Mike, I would consider that a comedy. You know, using the tropes in the game. King Wolf. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. We could have done a basketball comedy, but I'm glad that you chose Coach Carter. Because I think more people think of basketball and they think of sports movies, they think of this type of movie. A movie that's based on a real story, that's definitely a little bit Hollywoodized, a little bit sentimental. And I'm curious to unpack it with you because your enjoyment of a movie like Coach Carter is going to be maybe similar to a movie like Remember the Titans or a movie like Hoosiers, you know? How much you get in with the story being told.
1: Hoosiers, I think, is much more the equivalent to Remember the Titans. I think Hoosiers is the basketball equivalent of Remember the Titans. And I would say that Coach Carter is hoosiers light.
0: I mean, I wouldn't disagree that Coach Carter is hoosiers light, but I wouldn't call Hoosiers very similar to Remember the Titans, because Hoosiers doesn't really have race on its mind. And I think in that way, Remember the Titans and Coach Carter are a lot more similar.
1: Spike Lee wrote an entire book on basketball and talked about how Hoosiers was in the vein of movies that started with Rocky, where it talked about the all-white team being basically coached and defeating the uh, better and, and
0: favored black opponent at the end i spike lee knows what he's talking about and i'm not saying that race plays no part in hoosiers but the movie itself is not interested in that storyline for what not i can interested remember.
1: in solving racism no
0: and not in the ways that, a mo- that even a movie like glory road which is a, a disney movie from the 2000s that movie is very similar to remember the Titans. In that it's telling the story of Texas Western, I believe the college is, where those players were, I think they were the first team to have all five um, black players in the starting lineup. And it was in the era of civil rights. And so, using some similar tropes to Remember the Titans, also a Disney movie, in this basketball story. So I, I would say, although I'm a fan of Fuchsia's, and I'm a fan of Remember the Titans, that I, I would probably place Coach Carter more in the lineage of Remember the Titans, even though they're coming around similar times, obviously. but. Just, that's where, how well, okay. I would classify it.
1: Let's talk about some of the staples, though. The team does not have this particular coach. This coach comes in, in at the beginning or the middle of the season, and it needs to teach and care about not just how the players are at the sport that they are talking about, but also about life. Of course, Christian. And helps them with their personal problems. He's not he just their...
0: here to coach players. He's here to make boys into men
1: (laughs) and 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 the coach at one point threatens to quit in all of these movies or considers leaving or benches there's a lot of people who get benched or a lot of athletes who will leave the team because they don't like the new strict rules because they were doing so well without this coach beforehand it is that that's that's what we're dealing with also i know i put this on the outline by the way, I feel so fancy when I say that it's on the outline when it's just a
0: text message. <laughs> Christian, you're you're like a bad magician. You're revealing our secrets <laughs> to the listeners.
1: <laughs> okay, look, this is this, we, we just need a little bit of substance, of substance. But so the director Ron Carter.
0: Thomas you Carter. No, no. Thomas Carter? Thomas Carter.
1: The, di- the director? Oh yeah, Thomas Carter. Why did I put Ron Carter? <laughs>
0: Who's Ron Carter? I don't know, Christian. I bet he's a swell guy, wherever he is. But he sure as, okay. sure as heck didn't direct this movie. So Thomas Carter
1: directed Swing Kids. He also directed the biopic of, of Gifted Hands, which tells the Ben Carson story. I have seen both of those movies. Both of them. Emotionally manipulative. They force you
0: to cry. When did you watch Gifted Hands, the Ben Carson story? Which, if I'm not mistaken, is a TNT original.
1: <laughs> oh, I, it was when I was in either middle school or high school. It was right before I applied to college, and I remember because I applied to Yale, and I wrote, I think part of my application essay had to do with Ben Carson.
0: Okay. Interesting.
1: Because yeah. yeah. I thought I wanted to be a neurosurgeon
0: well how's that going for you
1: um i don't need a comment on what i do for work
0: anyway (laughs) christian's former life aspirations aside yes thomas carter has uh made his fair share of weepies not only has he made weepies he's made multiple sports movies he made a movie called when the game stands tall more recently which from what i can remember is also it's also maybe a faith-based movie or at least one that is explicit about the faith involved of the coach and the players and the particular story that it's telling but he's also been working in hollywood for literally decades this guy's been working in television since the 80s and still continues to direct in tv almost to this very day his most recent credit is from 2021 so he was off last year but has multiple things in the pipeline according to imdb so uh he will i'm sure he will be back soon very uh, seemingly very reliable studio hand he's made movies he's worked in television he does sports movies he does dance movies like save the last dance which might be the most notable movie he made after coach carter but
1: okay I I need to point something out in this movie.
0: Point it out. Well, two things. One, Octavia Spencer is in this movie. Indeed she is. Indeed she is in this movie. A very small part. A little early career Octavia Spencer for everybody.
1: But definitely looking at her and thought, this is Octavia Spencer. And she does not even have really a named character. Huh. This is interesting. Also... Another person in this movie is Channing Tatum. <laughs>
0: yes. We have young Channing Tatum playing the white guy <laughs> on the uh the Inner City School basketball team. Yo, young Channing Tatum still ripped? Young Channing Tatum was still ripped. Of course he's playing a high school senior and was probably 22 at the time this movie came out anyway. But he was and actually He was
1: only 22 at the time. Good for them because It's true. They yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's right. uh, right. I mean this
0: is just this is a, a a funny, cool kind of moment for Channing Tatum, because before this, he was a dancer. He had been in a few music videos. He had an episode of CSI Miami in 2004, but he makes his feature film debut in Coach Carter.
1: Wait, wasn't he a stripper? Was well, this like during yes. the time that he was a stripper? No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think he was a stripper much earlier in his career, and he and he had moved if he's into. Twenty-two. How much? Well, earlier? Christian, I don't know how old he actually was. He was born in 1980. This movie came out in 2005 or six. Five. 2005. Okay, so so he's so he's 25. Probably 20, 24 when he was making the movie. 25 when it comes out. So <laughs> he was. I, I'm assuming Just he was a stripper. 18, 19, 20 in that range. He moves into dancing. A little bit more. Uh, a little bit more wholesomely, if you will, in music videos as opposed to strip teases and shows. But then he does move into acting. He also was a model, so he worked a variety of jobs in the entertainment industry, but this is his debut feature film performance. And of course he would go on to be the biggest star from this movie, not named Samuel L. Jackson, who is an untouchable movie star, but
1: but but let's talk now because it, it's the man, the myth, the legend, Samuel L. Jackson. Of course.
0: Now, this movie
1: comes out the same year that Star Wars Episode Three comes out. Which is just... We're talking about rage, man. That's range. But Samuel L. Jackson, I mean, he's already been Academy Award nominated because in 1994 he was in Pulp Fiction. Outside of that, like, in the 90s, it's just string after string of... of, of well, I mean... Decade Defining Movies, he's in Goodfellas, he's in, I mean if we're talking about Spike Lee, he's in Jungle Fever, he's in Patriot Games, he's in Jurassic Park, I'm just using a movie a year right now, uh, uh, let's see, he's in A Time to Kill, I have seen Long Kiss Goodnight*. he's in Eve's Bayou in 97, Jackie Brown also in 97, Out of Sight in 98, Star Wars Episode 1 in 99, Shaft in 2000, like... What
0: the frick? I mean, Samuel L. Jackson has had one of the most legendary careers in modern Hollywood. He's... I'm not sure if he still holds this title. I think he does. But he is the most financially successful actor in the history of Hollywood. His movies have made more money than anybody else's movies. Because this guy works all the time he's got 197 credits so list according to imdb and as you're identifying he has just had a penchant for being in big movies people recognized his his talent his charisma and he's of course coming up in the 90s and he's working in supporting parts he gets attention from the academy for his performance in pulp fiction he's then bouncing it out with leading parts in smaller movies supporting parts in bigger and supporting parts in bigger movies and ultimately starts to break out into a full-fledged leading man as As you know he's of course playing a supporting part in the Star Wars movies but he's also opening movies like Coach Carter which opened up in Martin Luther King weekend in 2005 and opened at number one of the box office it was a pretty financially successful movie and a lot of that has to do with the fact that Samuel L. Jackson's playing Coach Carter you know inspirational sports movies get made all the time especially in in this era but if you don't have Samuel L. at the center, who's to say how, much, how well it does? It, it, this guy is bringing people to the theater.
1: But this is, okay, so this is also, this is 2005, right? So we're catching him at an interesting time. So this is a year after The Incredibles comes out. And I do say that because, I mean, Frozone is a legendary character of animation.
0: <laughs> and you Funny. are a fool if Where you think is otherwise. My super suit lives in the mind of all of us kids growing up in that, in that era he and was lives in the mind of all husbands of all husbands in in conventional and stereotypical heterosexual marriages now
1: in the year after comes snakes on a plane of of which even if you haven't seen the movie you can quote the line from it <laughs> and it this is, is just a couple of years before iron man comes out, where he's only in the post credit scene, but he is helping kickstart the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I would say that this is actually kind of a soft period for, for Samuel L. Jackson, because I mean, Star Wars is dying down, and his next franchise hasn't, I mean, catapulted sure. itself to the top yet. How
0: is this a soft period for Samuel L. Jackson?
1: Okay, look. I I wouldn't say that it is his. I mean, honestly, this is Star Wars Episode Three is probably the one that has the most Mace Windu. Probably. Okay, I don't know, man. I'm trying to I'm trying to come up with a narrative for what he's doing in 2005.
0: He's crushing it in 2005. That's what he's doing. (laughs) Not only look, not only is he in Star Wars Episode Three, he's in the biggest franchise in the world at the time and he's in coach carter opening up a sports movie but he also appears in triple x state of the union which is a sequel that did not do very well but he's still he's in big budget hollywood movies all throughout this year and he would continue on that run and he's stepping into more leading roles in the 2000s until we get to him then of course beginning his, his part in the marvel cinematic universe and obviously the rest is gravy from there he continued to make movies and and take different types of parts voice acting working with tarantino and small bits uh, where he could but then the mcu just continues to take over his career from there so this is one of the i mean he's not someone who the mcu stopped him from working in other types of movies of course but this is really big moment for him in his career i would say 2005 is just a big year for samuel l jackson and yes the the years after it weren't necessarily the best for his career and his presence in the Marvel Cinematic Universe would obviously endear him to a whole new generation of people going to the movies but this is I would argue this is a a pretty big moment for him just one of the better years of his career even if Triple X State of the Union isn't exactly a banger sequel that we still rewatch today (laughs) and Revenge of the Sith of course is saddled with being part of the Star Wars prequels it's still beloved to some people and so is Coach Carter
1: I do wonder what would, what's his best year in movie. I feel like that would be an interesting assignment later on.
0: However. We could do a whole bonus let's... episode, probably just doing a Samuel L. Jackson draft, where we pick different years in the career of Samuel L. Jackson.
1: That would require so much homework.
0: And that you know, require... Indeed it would. But you can also go off reputation for that. You know, You wouldn't have to watch all 197 of his movies and music videos and TV show appearances <laughs> and animated film roles and all that. Because am I really
1: trying to re-watch Kingsman, The Secrets? Or actually, 2015 a good year. It's Chirac, <laughs> Avengers, Age of Ultron, Kingsman, The Hateful Eight, and some movie called Barely Lethal, which I have no... Okay, we need to start this. We need to start talking about this movie.
0: <laughs> Last couple right. things to know here about Coach Carter. Of course, we did mention, directed by Thomas Carter, written by Mark Schwan and John Gattens. And along with Samuel L. Jackson and Channing Tatum and Octavia Spencer, an ensemble cast here of the players in the team, including Rob Brown, Robert Richard, and Rick Gonzalez, comes out, as we said, January 2005 around Martin Luther King weekend, made for a budget of $30 million, and ultimately pulled in 76 and a half at the global box office. So, all things considered, a financial success, as well as receiving pretty good reviews.
1: Are you ready for your opening questions, Scott?
0: So ready, Christian. So ready.
1: Okay. The question is simple. The question is, do we need this movie? Does this movie do an accurate job at portraying the coach slash mentor role that inspires a young group of men? Or is it just too dramatic and has been done better in other movies?
0: So those are, those are two different questions, in a way. Because, okay. number one, sure. do we need this movie? To be fair, we don't need any movie. Uh, <laughs> that is false. We need I need Wally. Christian needs Wally and Birdman. I need a few movies as well, I'm sure, including Star Wars being of Samuel L. Jackson, but arguably we don't need any movie. What we do need are good movies. And this kind of sports drama in a way is a pretty reliable genre, especially if you like sports. If you consider yourself a sports fan, it's hard to go wrong even with the Lesser versions of these stories. And the real life adaptation, the biography, a better way of putting it, the biography coach, real life team story, that, that kind of movie has been made quite often. It's not even the first time we're covering it on this podcast, of course. We talked about Remember the Titans on the show in the past. Even so, I think it is a solidly well done version of this type of movie. And I like what Thomas Carter and and uh, Schwann and Gatens here as the writers do by providing a bit of uh, you know more blunt social commentary that it's not delivered with a whole lot of nuance, but it is delivered in this vehicle. It's like the pill in the the peanut butter that you're given to your pet to make sure that they take their medicine. Um, I think at first we have a pretty, again, just a decently well-done sports movie that becomes something a little bit bigger with higher aspirations, thinking seriously about the social conditions of Richmond, California, why the school struggles in the way that it does, why the players are struggling in academics, struggling to attend their classes, struggling with influences off of the basketball court, good and bad. Um, and, And I think to that end, it's well done. And maybe it's not... The best sports movie I've ever seen. It's not my favorite Samuel L. Jackson movie. M- probably not even my favorite basketball movie. But all in all, <laughs> uh, again, all in all, I think this is a well-done version of what this is. And I I, and I I liked it. I'm glad that I finally got to watch it because it's a movie that I've known about. I, maybe since it came out, I, I probably saw commercials for it on TV. And I just didn't go to the theater to see it when I was 9 going on 10, you know? So, that, that, that's my take on it, Christian. I, I think okay. it does well with the, the mentor coach who inspires the boys into men or whatever. You know, I think this is a pretty solid version of that story. Not the least of which uh, me, because of Samuel L. Jackson in that role.
1: Okay, I think that this movie is fine. And, and, and I I think Samuel L. Jackson is incredible in this movie, but also I think that we're hard-pressed to find a Samuel L. Jackson that this performance that doesn't work for us. Now... It, what's the best way for me to describe it? You know those biopic movies where the lead actor or actress wins the Academy Award?
0: Yeah, <laughs> there's lots of them.
1: It just feels like a version of that, where, where it's not necessarily the best execution of the supporting actors. It's not necessarily the best execution of the script, even though it has a lot of interesting ideas on its mind. It's not the best execution even within its own genre but it has an amazing lead performance and and so i like the movie but i will say my like of the movie rests solely because samuel L. jackson is an unmatched force
0: i i think that's fair to say and, and honestly i don't know you know where this would rank if i were to do do my own little list of samuel L. jackson performances on letterboxd but I don't even think this is necessarily one of his one of his best, like his finest moments on screen. But if it were someone else in this role, and of course there are certain people where if you swap him out and swap in Denzel Washington, the coach from Remember the Titans, the movie probably is the same quality, if not even better. <laughs> if you were to swap Samuel L. Jackson out with a lesser actor, of course, then a lot of this movie falls apart because you really need to buy into coach carter's program and you need to appreciate what he's doing without finding him too much of an a-hole and even at his crankiest and his most irascible samuel jasmine jackson is just brimming with charisma and it makes you appreciate him and gets good performances out of the team as well i think there's a lot of good performances in the supporting cast and it's because they have a a veteran to act across from who Hopefully, it was probably coach them off screen as well. I have no idea how Samuel L. is on set, especially where he's playing a coach to a bunch of young actors. But probably some of the you know the coaching happening on screen was happening off screen as well.
1: You know, um, oh, what am I saying? This this movie, and I think it's because of of what we saw in the previous two movies of this blend, just does not make great use of music in its basketball scenes or at least not in ways that I have come to appreciate from other entries The, the the music is you know that soaring violin or piano or classical whatever and so it's it's not trying to make us pay attention necessarily to the basketball but to the change going on inside of these young men's hearts or whatever other crap and because of that it, it it reminded me of how this movie could have been better and, and and even wasn't necessarily a great reminder or view of the society that this movie's trying to portray like honestly where's where's the lively music
0: i mean where is the lively music scott i i don't know christian they're they're pulling together a contemporary soundtrack and sometimes they age well sometimes they don't there's a moment where get low by Lil John of the East side boys comes on and the dorky little white boy that I am, I was like bumping while watching the movie, of course, but a lot of the music here hasn't aged as well uh, as it has in, in previous, um, the previous movies of this blend, which of course were coming out too much sooner than coach Carter did, with white men can't jump 92 and love and basketball coming out 2000. 2000. So that's a similar time period, of course. And, you know, it's just that this particular soundtrack didn't necessarily age as well. And I will say, Trevor Rabin is the composer here, and i it, it's a guarantee, listeners, that you've seen a Trevor Rabin movie. Uh, he, he is someone who is not, unfortunately for his career, he's not necessarily among the upper echelon of composers, but he works, and he works often. And he has some moments here where his score takes over, and it's cheesy, but it works for the moment. Uh, whether it's kind of, it's like you said, the string is coming in as, as someone's about to hit a game-winning shot or playing a somber little tune during a low moment. You know, he he's, again, this is, in in some respects, a very, like, workman-like movie. And it's just a, a really great execution of this, of all of these tropes and, and this type of movie.
1: So Trevor Rabin did the score for G-Force,
0: and as well as American The Sorcerer's
1: thoughts. Apprentice, Race to Witch Mountain, I Am Number Four, um, National Treasure, Book of Secrets.
0: Armageddon, a movie that you still haven't seen.
1: Exorcist, The Beginning.
0: So you get a sense uh, for what kind of stuff this guy is normally called upon to score. But he, he
1: did the score for Remember the Titans. Yes, he did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my I can almost guarantee you that the producers of this movie saw Remember the Titans and were like... Let's do our sports movie, but can we get Trevor Rabin to come in and score this? <laughs> you know, he's got range. He also did Bad Boys too, so he can do it all. Okay, okay we should talk about what
1: happens in the movie. So,
0: so <laughs> I know we normally—I just realized—we normally mention the like synopsis of the story earlier on for people who missed the movie, but we we still haven't gotten to that. We just got wrapped up in our discussion of Samuel L. Jackson's career peaks and valleys.
1: So <laughs> yes, yeah, we we we're all over the. Honestly, I feel like this month, we've been much, much looser in the way that we review movies. I, and I'm all
0: for it. I think it. we have been.
1: Okay, so, Ken Carter lives in Richmond. He sells bikes, I believe that's his profession. and He's he, a, he is like a sports store. Okay, so he has a sports store, and he used to play for Richmond High School. He set the all-time shooting record. 30 years ago, got some state championships, I believe, something along those lines, um, gets asked to coach the team. So it's not like a full-time job, it's basically a position that gives him a $1,500 stipend and it's a lot of hours for four months. He agrees to do so, he has a son. His son's name is Damien, I believe. Okay, so Damien goes to a, an opposing high school when he finds out that he said he's gonna coach at Richmond, asks to transfer to Richmond, um, realizes that his team is full of a bunch of people who don't necessarily regularly attend class, who also um, are not but there there is a lot of stuff going on in the neighborhood. One of them got his um, one of the players got his girlfriend pregnant and is trying to figure out what to do there. You know, it there's there's a lot of drama going on um, and decides that he wants to shape these men into people who can get basketball scholarships and go to college outside of just doing this. And because he cares so much about their academic careers, he actually gets in trouble. Because when he finds out that they're not performing at the academic level that he wants, he locks the court. He locks the basketball court. It says no one can play until your grades get up. And the entire town is in an uproar but uh yeah and it's a story of how his team comes together i don't know what am i missing am i missing
0: anything Uh, i don't think you're missing anything too major just in terms of the general plot beats the incident where coach carter locks the gym down is the that is the big moment that really made this movie happen that made national news in 1999 where they don't say when the movie is set obviously that isn't the recent history, this is coming out in 2005, so they probably didn't need to, but that did make headlines in 1999. And it set the stage for ultimately one of the biggest changes to the movie. They change all the players' names just to protect their you know identities, anonymity, and there are some composite players and all of that. But Coach Carter actually began coaching at Richmond in 1997, and he would stick around for about five years. So that was one of the big changes they made is they set it as his first season at the school when in reality he was in the middle of his tenure. So despite that Hollywoodization of his story, it's, I'm okay with that Hollywoodization. You know, yeah, it's it's one of those things where you say, "Oh, you know, I guess that works." It it provides a little bit of narrative tension, of course, at the beginning of the story because the guys are not it, it it's not as cinematic, I guess. It, it's not as interesting of a story if third-year players are struggling to buy into this system. But rather, people who've, who are just now meeting the coach and have to reorient how they have been uh, treating the coach, how they've been treating school, have they been treating you know, themselves, each other, whatever. Th- that's just a more interesting story to tell, and it's an acceptable change. All right, so let's
1: talk about some of the players and whether or not they stand out. Um, look, I liked Rick Gonzalez's team that being said, Timo also has the most stereotypical, like, I don't know, sometimes some of the cheesiest ways in which his character is presented. So, Timo's, I don't he, I think maybe it was his uncle who's a drug dealer, so sometimes he works the street for his uncle. Yeah, his
0: cousin, I think, but cousin. family member, either way.
1: Some family member. And he was part of the basketball team before Carter got there. Carter shows up says that he's going to implement a lot of rules. Timo tries to punch him. Carter basically it 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 it's so funny how how Samuel Jackson just kind of pins that man against the wall. <laughs> uh Timo leaves realizes that his movie that his his life is going to be awful if he doesn't shape up and so goes back to Carter asking to be on the team. And he yeah that's that it's it's just it's kind of cheesy the way they do it, like when they shoot his cousin, it's 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 not a good death scene, let's just say that, it's just, his no is is, is, is not great, but, you know. Oh, I, I don't know, I,
0: I, I didn't think much of that, uh, to me, I I didn't think negatively of it, I should say.
1: He's lively though, He I, I, there's a lot of energy coming off of the screen when he's there. Um... Yeah, I don't know. Any other of the supporting ones stand out to you?
0: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think this is a really solid young cast. Aside from Channing Tatum, who's playing a, a, a senior named Jason Lyle, who's, of course, one of the only white guys on the team. And it's it's funny watching him walk around <laughs> and fit I in. I Channing Tatum. Yeah, yeah he, he's really good here. It's a really, a really solid first performance. But I also really liked Rob Brown who's playing Kenyon Stone, and he is the player you mentioned whose girlfriend is pregnant, and they have the most compelling subplot in the movie to me. I think Timo's story is also pretty compelling, but like you said, it it flirts with stereotypes, and he, his story could be a whole movie in and of itself. There are, there are a lot of people who have struggled with their close friends or their family who are in that world, and, and they're struggling to be a part of it or not while being in high school, being on a sports team, whatever it is. Um, And the same goes for Kenyon. Obviously, plenty of of high schoolers have gotten their girlfriends pregnant, and there's lots of stories to be told there. But I think the time and care devoted to that storyline is well handled. And his girlfriend, Kira, is played by Ashanti, who is a singer Mm -hmm. that a lot of people will recognize. She was really big at the time this movie was coming out. And so it's fun to see that kind of pop star uh, performance coming in here in a movie. Uh, Maybe she's not pop, more R&B, but... Even so, Um, I think Rob Brown has, you know, has some nice moments and and whether on the basketball court with Coach Carter or with Kira. And there's a nice scene between Kira and Kenyon where we get to see this sort of forecasting of their domestic future where Kira is watching her uh, either her sister or her cousin's uh, baby and she's kind of passing the baby off to Kenyon, helping him to microwave the bottle, gives it to him. Hey, don't give it to him while it's still hot. Let it cool for a second. Oh, you're not holding the baby right, and she's trying to cook some mac and cheese on the on the stove, too, and Kenyon, you can see it going through his eyes where he's thinking, this is going to be my future if we decide to keep this baby, and I don't go to college, and Kira doesn't go either, we both have to get jobs, and you're seeing that kind of play out across his face, and it's, it's a well-done scene, and again, it's... Because these people aren't the main characters, and Coach Carter is, we don't get to go as deep into these stories as they kind of deserve to have the stories go. All of these could be their own movie. But I appreciated both Rob Brown and Ashanti and their scenes together, and I, I really enjoyed that subplot here.
1: Yeah, we completely missed the fact that Adrian Balon is in this movie.
0: Adrian Balon, post-Cheetah Girls, is <laughs> in post this Cheetah movie. Post-Cheetah Girls is
1: in this movie. In
0: a very, very small part. But she's here.
1: But she is here. Um, that's – yeah. So, I mean, they compete. They make it to the tournament. They lose.
0: <laughs> well, Christian, they win. There, there is a, a pretty big change up that you are – you're selling the movie short here because for about the first hour, it's a pretty conventional sports movie. Coach Carter comes in. He makes them sign literal contracts – and agree to his rules about having a 2.3 GPA sitting in the front row of your classes. Then they disagree, and they kind of hide it from him. But he gets on some guy's cases. Timo quits, but then tries to come back, and so he has to do a bunch of push-ups and suicides. And there's this kind of normal basketball movie stuff going on. And then we get to the lockout moment, which comes, I, I think, about halfway through the movie, maybe a little bit past it. And we see Carter's philosophy really come up with just convention. At the time, because for the first time, what we even mentioned is that the team has been historically pretty bad. And in recent memory, they only won four games the previous season. And when Carter takes over, they actually start the season undefeated. Undefeated. And the town is really getting behind them. The parents of these of these boys are really getting behind them, too, because they're starting to see a future my kid plays well enough, he could go to college. Even if it's a community college, a smaller school, he could get the opportunity to go work on a degree and play basketball. And Carter's philosophy is insistent that this is not just about basketball. And that lockdown, or the lockout of the gym, comes at a time where they're still undefeated and start to forfeit games. And it gives the movie a chance to flesh out Coach Carter's philosophy. And... There's a couple key moments. There's a press conference scene where a lot of the parents and the family members and the community members get to sound off on their opinions versus Coach Carter's philosophy. The principal of the school, um, who should say is played by Denise Douse. She's had a few scenes across from Carter where she's kind of exasperated by him because she is busy enough as a public school principal. But she gets a chance to show her support for him in this moment. And we also see where he is directly speaking to the team about the reasons and literal statistics behind why he is doing what he is doing. And I think in that moment particularly, it fleshes out what the movie is trying to get out beyond just basketball is a great sport and sometimes coaches can inspire young men. And I think it's a little bit on the nose. It's very on the nose. But yes... Even it's so. also one of the most
1: interesting parts of this movie right. because they this team is only doing well because he's the coach. And they want to remove him as the coach because he's not letting the team play even though they're only good in the first place because he was able to whip them into shape. And that's definitely the mob mentality that a that a, that a group of people would take on because they didn't even really care about... They didn't care that they were good or not beforehand. And now that they're good, their success in going to college is all they can think about, even though, like he says, you you need to have a decent GPA in order for the scholarship to come in. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to afford getting or playing ball um, in, on the collegiate level. Right. And, and you it's so realistic, really, what these parents say, you know, is what they would say in real life.
0: Yeah. And and I think, too, it what Carter represents is interesting because – for a lot of people in the movie there's a bit of a survival mindset where the parents are aware of what is going on outside of school and there's a lot of scenes of the guys hanging out downtown or like in town whatever you would say for richmond late at night and there's no parental supervision <laughs> because their parents are working and it's not like they get to come home to their stay-at-home mom or, or sometimes dad of course and they get to have a snack made for them, and then they go to their room to work on their homework before playing some video games and then going to bed and going to school the next day. No, it's, it's a, this is a city, and this is the inner city. It's where people are working long hours, working part-time, sometimes multiple jobs, and the students are left to their own devices. And you see for Timo is the example in this movie, but you see how some of these these young guys are drawn into lifestyles that ultimately land them in prison. And that's something that Ken Carter directly addresses within the movie, where he tells the boys, you know, X amount of you, like, look to your left, look to your right. Statistically, one of the black players in this room is going to end up in prison. 50% of the people at Richmond High School graduate. That's only 50% of this. It's half the school is graduating. And he's talking about these these r- real verifiable statistics. I'm not sure if the movie got them exactly right, but in context, he's, he's telling him about this because his goals are not just for them to survive and have an after-school activity. He doesn't want them just to be like physically fit, play in a sport where sometimes they win. It's fun; Other times they lose, but whatever, it's still fun, but no, he wants them to learn from basketball and to form the rest of their life and help them become the best versions of themselves. Help them become confident, strong young men and his primary goal is for them to go to college is to graduate and go to college whether or not the basketball team plays well his goal is for them to do well academically to become more disciplined and to create a better life for themselves and i think it's an interesting just philosophy that he brings in that comes into conflict with the, with the parents and the teachers who you have a, an amount of sympathy for because you understand how hard it is to, to raise a child or how hard it is to be the principal or a teacher at an underfunded public school. And, yeah. and that's what I really appreciated about the movie once it kicked into gear later on in the back half of the movie.
1: Okay. Um, I will say, in the interest of time, we're going to skip a couple of things. All right.
0: All right, Christian. I trust you. All right. Replace one character with Russell. Crowe. <laughs> <laughs> we got to cut out any, any other more serious elements of this review. We got to get to the, meat. <laughs> we got to get to the real source of protein here. All right, Christian. I've thought long and hard and my answer is not that interesting. I know, I know last time we both had a good one for a white man can't jump, but are you ready for my R- Russell Crowe replacement?
1: Um. sure okay what, what's What's your Russell Crowe replacement
0: so during the press conference a few of the parents and community members get up and they're like hi I'm this person's mom I'm this person's uncle or whatever and one guy gets up and he's like I'm Jason Lyle's uncle and basketball is the only thing that kid has just imagine with me for a second Christian if that was Russell Crowe <laughs> with an unchanged accent <laughs> Hi, I'm Jason Lyle's uncle. That boy's only got basketball. That's my replacement. Um, okay.
1: Alright. I think I would
0: replace Chaining Tatum. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're not going for the age-appropriate swap that I did. You're just <laughs> putting in. Russell Crowe into like, the role of a high school senior when he was like <laughs>
1: He was probably in his thirties at that point. Let's see.
0: We're gonna see how old this man is in two thousand and five. You're telling me you
1: wouldn't want to know I I mean, come on. You you you, you can't tell me you wouldn't want Samuel L. Jackson to be coaching Russell Crowe.
0: Russell Crowe was born in nineteen sixty four, which would have made him at least forty at the time this movie came out. So no. <laughs> Unless Samuel L. Jackson is taking on a different type of movie where he is coaching maybe a professional team of some kind.
1: If no, if 25 year olds can play high schoolers,
0: why can't 40 year olds? <laughs> I think the reasons for that are obvious, Christian. <laughs> and it comes from okay. a little movie called Grease, where they tried to hide the fact that that's what they were doing. No. Emma Thompson
1: replaces one character.
0: Yeah, th- see, this is you know this is a tougher question. I think there's an this obvious answer. One. I think there's an obvious answer, and I'm unfortunately going to take it. And I like Denise okay. Dallas in her role as the principal, but I think okay, we're thinking the same thing. Having Emma Thompson there to go to kind of come uh, be, be the verbal sparring opponent for Coach Carter, who, who can't deal with his obnoxious requests for academic progress reports because she's trying to deal with the police coming to her high school. You know, I, I think Emma Thompson could have done that well. Again, inexplicably British, British principal <laughs> at this Actually, North California I, school, but...
1: I have a better answer. Okay. Kira.
0: No, Christian. What are we talking <laughs> Why not? about?
1: Because, you, you, because Kira me, is a high school. Kenyon Stone coming back, talking about how he's going to have... A a, a a son or daughter with Emma Thompson is it it's one of the greatest things ever
0: Christian Emma Thompson yeah. was born in the year 1959 so she would have been 45 when this movie came out so no I don't want her playing the unintentionally pregnant high school senior girlfriend to another okay. high school senior. <laughs>
1: What if you remove the fact that she's in high school and she's just his girlfriend?
0: So she's a predator because she's preying <laughs> upon this teenage young man before he is of legal age? No.
1: Okay. Fine. Fine, 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 fine. Now, I told you that I would be hiding the last category from you. Yes.
0: Even in the even in the outline here, it says Russell Crowe, Emma Thompson, and Mystery. Who's the mystery? Yes.
1: Okay, so the mystery here is Reese Witherspoon. But this Reese Witherspoon wins the Academy Award for best actress for Walk the Line this year or from from this movie year. If you replace Samuel L. Jackson with Reese Witherspoon for one scene, which scene is a
0: If I replace Samuel <laughs> Oh my gosh, Christian. <laughs> Oh my! This is an uncomfortable question. Just for one scene. Well, yeah, Yeah. it's kind of hard because you could pick any of the scenes where Coach Carter is laying down the law for his for his team, or he's enforcing his rules. But I will specifically, for the sake of comedy, choose the scene where Coach Ken Carter explains to the team why he does not want them using the N word at practice. (laughs) And calling each other the N-word, because even if it's affectionately, the wor- history of that word has has been to dis- disrespect and put down black people. And he's telling them why he does not yes. use that word. And having Reese Witherspoon explain that would be deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> and that's why <laughs> that's my selection, my one scene.
1: I agree with you. I think that is the one scene Reese Witherspoon should have come in for.
0: Now, Christian, I'm going to give you a separate prompt for Reese Witherspoon. Okay. And I'm going to ask you, create a role and cast her in it. My choice here, because she was okay. born
1: 1976. so how How old would she have been? 30?
0: She would have been almost 30. 1976, okay. she would have been like 28 or 29 when the movie came out. So I'm casting her in the role of Jason Lyle's older sister. And they have they have a okay. tempestuous relationship. We're gonna add some layers to Jason Lyle. We're gonna see his home life a little bit, and and maybe she's even she's got a boyfriend who is like super mean to her, and Jason tries to like step in and get involved, but it goes bad for you know he, he gets hit or something. You know that that that's what what Reese would do.
1: So I was thinking along similar lines. Now. Um first thing that came into my head you know trying to do quick math as to how old she was i was thinking you could cast her maybe as the 36 year old mother to jason lyle i i i don't know or something along those lines but i think one thing that could occur is that she is a teacher at this school and she becomes one of the only allies that carter has
0: that that's the other good option i would say
1: Okay. I, I I like that we've started to introduce this to these to these movie reviews. I think that it's really giving it some heft.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it, it's fun. It's fun to think about where uh, where famous Hollywood actors would have been uh, if they were cast in these movies that we're covering. So who knows? We'd have to bring it back for future blends of the month.
1: All right. Now, um... We are done with our review for the movie. Christian, and we are, before we move yes, on,
0: would you recommend Coach Carter? Like, would you give it a positive review? Where are you at with that?
1: Um, I think it's not bad. I think that it's actually a fun time for people. But it's definitely a soft recommendation. Like, if someone went their whole life and never saw Coach Carter, I don't think that's, like, a waste of a life.
0: That's, you know, that's kind of a high bar to pass, but I, I think I would agree. It sounds like maybe I, I liked and appreciated it a little bit more than you did, Christian, but we're in a similar spot where if you like sports movies, if you're a big Samuel L. Jackson fan, maybe you want to see Channing Tatum's feature film debut, whatever it would be, coach Carter is definitely worth a watch and you're not okay. really going to regret watching it, but there are better this has versions of broader
1: appeal though. Yeah. I feel like someone who's not a basketball fan or a sports fan would like the inspirational aspect of this story. Right. Whereas I think someone who likes, I don't know, someone who's not a sports fan would have some difficulty with white men can't jump.
0: Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think there's other reasons to like white men can jump, even if you're not a basketball fan, just from the sheer comedy of the, of the, uh, on court, verbal repartee if you will, but uh or the Rosie Perez Jeopardy of it all. You know, I mean that's pretty enjoyable regardless of your is sure. on basketball.
1: Okay. Um Coach Carter streaming on Paramount Plus, rentable Bull a variety of places. Basketball month has come to a close. So Scott, um we have some awards to dish out. Yes. And we're, we're going to start and I know I sent these to you we're going to start with the best basketball scene that we saw.
0: Do you want me to go first? Uh, Yeah, why don't you go first? Okay. So, I was thinking about this, and there are good basketball scenes in all three movies. I think Coach Carter yeah. scratches the itch a little bit where you know the team is going to win, and it's a foregone conclusion, but... They're dang it. They're pulling up for three and you're just hoping that they make it. <laughs> and white men can't jump. I almost went with the final, final game at the end of that movie where Sydney and Billy are going to play these legendary street ball players and the whole match or match. What am I? The whole game <laughs> takes place in slow motion and it just really focuses on the fun of the game of basketball and, and yet, I am going to go with a choice from Love and Basketball, our first movie okay. in the marathon here. And it's the moment where Gina Prince-Bythewood, as director, puts us not only into Monica Wright's POV, but specifically, we see basketball from a first-person perspective. We hear Sana Lathan as Monica running through her internal monologue. We hear her kind of talking to herself, reminding, hey, hands up, hands up, play defense, play defense. Or like, go for it get in the steel, things like that. And we see the, the play that unfolds through her eyes. It was just something that I really hadn't seen in a sports movie in a long time. And I don't think in a basketball movie ever. And it was one of those moments that really grabbed me to remind me that Jana Prince-Bythewood is a great director. And as much as I liked white men can jump and coach Carter love and basketball to me was the, the best directed Movie and that is one of yeah. the one of the reasons why I would I would say that so that was my choice. What would you say, Christian? Best basketball scene.
1: So I'm gonna go in the the first basketball game that we see in White Men Can't Jump, where um, it's it's him hustling them. They don't expect him to be a good player, and then at the free shoots at the end. He ends up beating Sydney despite all of Sydney's jibes against him. I feel like that's where the premise really kicks in, where you're bought into the, the, the just energy that Wesley Snipes' Sydney has, when you're bought into the just charm that Woody Harrelson's Billy has. It, I, I think that that was my favorite scene of basketball to watch.
0: I have to say that is a great choice, especially because the opening of White Men Can't Jump is maybe the best part of the movie. I mean, there's some, there's some great basketball scenes. The Jeopardy scene is fantastic, as we discussed last week. So it's not to say it's a bad movie that falls off after the opening. I do love
1: the tournament scene too, though.
0: Oh, the tournament is is great, but the ending or the beginning, excuse me, the beginning it just sets you up in such a great tone, where these guys are ripping each other to shreds verbally <laughs> and making fun of each other's mothers and trying to see if this white boy can play. And it, it's just such a, a funny and fun opening to that movie that, as we discussed last week, I think they, that Ron Shelton and, and writing and directing lost the tone of, as he tried to make a coherent narrative <laughs> and make a, and and create a plot. But uh, that beginning scene is is a great choice for the the best basketball scene of these three movies best performance now this is this is another tough one for me only because i whereas for each movie uh previously I had kind of an idea of my favorite moment of basketball from each of those movies, I think there was no real standout performance for me, even Samuel L Jackson in Coach Carter. It's something that he is very capable of doing. Uh, that that kind of character is very believable for him to play. It's a very good performance. It's very well done. But to me, it, it's, again, that that's the kind of character I've seen before. And he didn't do enough new with it that it really stood out to me beyond that. So, ultimately, I think I'm going to stick with Love and Basketball again and go with Sana Lathan as Monica Wright. And I think that she has this slightly more difficult part. Quincy, of course, is in that movie. He's, he's playing the male basketball star, the male half of that relationship. And we've seen all kinds of movies about male basketball players. And while he has some great moments with his father, played by Dennis Haysbert, and there's layers and depth to that character, I think that Sonny Lathan and Monica are just so much more compelling to me. And her story as a woman playing basketball who's future prospects are so much more limited by virtue of her gender <laughs> and uh, and that other women don't necessarily relate to her because she's really into basketball she's a very serious athlete but other men don't necessarily relate to her either uh, she has a, a bit more to prove and a bit more to do in the movie and she is so good at capturing monica across the three moments of her life that Sana lathan gets to play of course kyla pratt plays her when she is very young but just a really, really good performance, uh, and again, helping to really capture the, the female voice of Love and Basketball, of course, written and directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood, uh, a woman herself, of course. So, yeah, that, that, that was my pick. What about you, Christian? So, I think it
1: should be pretty obvious that I'm going with Rosie Perez's Gloria, because what's, what's fun about it is that she is the, I don't know, standing character for an audience or for the spectator so she gets to see the consequences of basketball quote-unquote or like why these specific people are doing this specific form of basketball what it means for someone to try to do it for money and she is able to pick apart the ridiculousness that she's seeing around her as well as having her own career ambitions which are um i mean love and basketball has phenomenal performances love and basketball probably has the best overall cast but I had, I had, there's there's something about the, what Gloria is putting up with, how she's trying to move forward, the energy that she brings, the the I, the, I know, just just that, her commentary and her ability to call stuff out, which is what we would be doing if we were at a basketball game, <laughs> is, is is what I loved about it. Now, that being said, for Best Picture, I believe that we have the same.
0: I was going to say, I went with Love and Basketball twice, and you went with White Men Can't Jump twice. And normally, yes. when we give the two preceding awards to the same movie, Best Picture goes the same way. But Christian, based on at least your letterbox rating of Love and Basketball, I think I know that you are going to agree with me in that it was the Best Picture of this Blend of the Month. Yes,
1: it was. So obviously- It's incredible.
0: I've gotten to sing its praises a couple of times with my previous awards. So why don't you speak on it just as it is our both jointly, our best picture for the month. Would love to know some of your um, your thoughts on it. Now a few weeks removed from our original review.
1: It's just the one that presents basketball the, as, as the most lifeblood. It's It's where basketball and yourself are tied together and when you I, we've seen many movies you know about artists different painters or singers or or filmmakers who they have to do this thing and it when you see how these characters have to do basketball and they see the world through that lens the the basketball scenes are energetic the 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 soundtrack is amazing Gina Prince-Bythewood scores raid the romance here is realistic it's so natural all of these characters are balanced so well and it knows what it's trying to do like yes it is love and invasible here are equal you don't need to sacrifice one to pursue the other so that's that's what i that's that's my choice
0: well said we are in agreement uh, and again just a, a really confident and uh, assured debut from Gina Prince-Bythewood, her, her feature debut there, plus some great performances from Sonny Lathan and Omar Epps as the leads, and a really richly developed supporting cast who, although they don't have as much screen time as the two leads do, get some really, really fantastic scenes to share with them, whether it is Alfred Woodard playing Monica's mother and their, their confrontation in the kitchen, or Dennis Haysbert playing Quincy's father, and their changing dynamic over the course of Quincy's life. Just a really, really well-done movie. And although I'm glad to have finally seen both Whiteman Can't Jump and Coach Carter, because all three of these were first-time watches for me, Love and Basketball is definitely the one I can see myself returning to the quickest Mm -hmm. uh, movie that I really appreciate, especially having seen a couple of Gina Prince-Bythewood's most recent movies, but not her Early, uh, earlier career uh, the move is from her earlier career so glad that we're in agreement there with our best picture for March
1: now this is not the last episode for the month of March and I have not told you what we're going to be doing for our final episode you have
0: not I was going to initiate an on air production meeting for you to tell me <laughs> so I'm glad that you're just going there already
1: in honor of the month of March I've decided that for our last one let's just do a quick Oscars retrospective because we haven't talked about the Oscars once and we normally have a full show dedicated to it. True. And then I was thinking we could do a nice review of John Wick Chapter Four.
0: Oh, oh, a little John Wick Chapter Four for me as a treat, Christian, how kind of you. Have you seen it yet?
1: I haven't, I'm finishing up John Wick Chapter Three and I know that you love the movie, and I wanted to talk about a movie that you loved. And I also wanted to talk about a movie that it looks like a bunch of people have seen.
0: I will say, there there's going to be very little in the way of criticism from from me <laughs> on that episode. I was able to see it the Friday it came out. I saw it a packed theater at one of my local cinemarks here. And we we all, collectively, had a great time. And I look forward to unpacking it a little bit, plus... A little bonus discussion of the Oscars a few weeks away from that will be fun, Christian. And then we'll get into our April blend of the month shortly thereafter, which I will share with y'all on that upcoming episode. I will say this is not set in stone just yet because we just started talking with him about it today. But we're hoping to have Kanan. (laughs) Got the names wrong. Keenan and Kaysen, color, our friends from the Hollywood Week podcast. We're hoping to have one of or hopefully both of them on our first episode of the April blend of the month. So hopefully our good buddies coming on to the show to discuss a movie with us in the very near future. So stay tuned, folks. Some fun stuff coming up here on the show.
1: Okay. You know what's we? I, I, I told you that I was talking with Nick Viner today, and he's, like, petitioning to be back on the show. Of
0: course. He joined us for, um, was it Arrival? Arrival, yeah. We'll get you back on the show, Nick. I hope you're out there listening. Maybe, you know, while you're taking a break from, from shredding the guitar, you musician you, or whether maybe you're just sitting at a computer and doing some production. have never listened to one of Nick's songs. Have I? Yeah. They're pretty good. I, I so i nick i'm sorry i did not listen to your music yet but i will what the f man that was over a year ago. I know. I know that's why that's why i'm really upset that you asked that question and i hope that he misses this part i hope i hope he just checks out of this episode <laughs> but i was gonna say maybe he's just sitting at a computer working on some production work maybe he's not shredding but whatever nick is up to and the music that he's making hopefully he shows up here on the cinema drip podcast sometime soon And of course, folks, that is our show. So thank you for joining us for our review of Coach Carter, our awards for the March blend of the month, and our plans for the next couple of episodes here. It's going to be some fun stuff coming up here in April, and we're looking forward to sharing it with you listeners listening along at home. Of course, we thank you for listening, and there are a few things that you can do to support the show. Number one, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if applicable, leave us a rating and a review just helps us reach new listeners on those platforms as Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever podcatcher you prefer takes note of us seeing some more attention there. So thank you to those who have reviewed. Please do subscribe and all that helps us grow. You can also send us an email to podcast at gmail.com. We're regularly checking our email inbox there for listener ideas for movies to cover on the show or even full-blown blends of the month. Or maybe you think we should have talked about Hoosiers or Celtic pride or like Mike, and you really want to shout out a basketball movie that you love. would love to share your thoughts here on the show. So send that in to cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com and we'll share your thoughts on the show. You can also follow myself and the show on Twitter, christian on instagram and the both of us on letterboxd where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we are watching christian any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home nope nope no nothing no now christian i actually do have some new rules um just for the podcast going forward i am going to need you to maintain a 2.3 grade point average I'm going to need you to sit in the front row of all of your classes, and I'm going to need you to start wearing a suit and tie on recording days. So do you think you can abide by all three of those rules?
1: Well, considering that in high school, I had an A grade point average, and in college, I graduated with like a 3.7 something GPA in my major. I think I'm good.
0: Cool. The tie thing, not a problem?
1: Um. No, that actually is an issue.
0: All right, we'll figure that out behind the scenes, folks. And until next time, this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.